the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history, topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Hey everyone, welcome to Throughout All Ages Ministry Program. My name is Stacy. I am the CEO of Throughout All Ages, and what we do is we go into the public high schools, build up the students' character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. And I am doing a four-week series on um, my journey down widowhood, and today we're going to be discussing um, the hospital and everything that took place in there. And I have my special guest, Connie here, but I want to open up with a verse that um, the verse is um, for God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're all going to die one day. And the question is, where are you going to go when you die? Praise God, Connie and I know that our husband's went to heaven, and one day we will get to see them. Praise the Lord. And I just want to let you know if you guys are hurting or struggling of any pain, drug addictions, lost, I let you know that go to Jesus, reach out to him, that he is there for you. Reach out to your church, open your Bible, because there's Verses out there that can give us strength. That's strength beyond what we can imagine. And so um, today we're going to be discussing COVID and the hospital protocol. And when my husband went into the hospital, I had to call 911, which I was very afraid to do because we knew everything that happened. But before I begin with that, I want everyone to know that we need to look at everything in life. When we're looking at science, what is true science? It's observable, testable, and repeatable. So as we go through this last year in the pandemic, what was true science as CDC was giving us these regulations and guidelines of social distancing and wearing masks. So um, we are true patriots in this big um, protocol that they were d- 
doing for us. And, you know, when my husband died, a lot of people would come up to me and say, oh, did he have health issues? And my answer to them was, well, don't we all have health issues, you know? And after my husband died, um, we were able to have all the details down on how to help someone with COVID. And guess what? Everyone survived. We did not lose one soul. So um, although I want to really encourage people with the verse, as we go down this journey of sharing with you what happened in the hospital, I want to let you know that we do put our trust and hope in Jesus, knowing that he numbers our days and not a day sooner. But there was really a murder that took place, and we're not going to let that slide. Um, God knows, and he knew we would be sharing our story today for such a time as this. So when my husband went into the hospital, he wanted a second opinion right away. I did not go in with him. My son followed him over there. And pretty much the hospital was in chaos when my husband came in because his oxygen level was at... 50%, and that's pretty low when we're supposed to be at 98. And so they got on, they called me and said, your husband needs to be vented immediately or he's going to die. And um, when my son was there and spoke to them and he said, can they just give him the mask, put the mask on? I think it was the CPAP, is that what it's called? So he did, they agreed to do the CPAP and his oxygen level went up to 90 right away. And as he was getting a clear mind, he wanted out of there still, but he did agree to staying in there in the hospital. And as I was going through this, my thought was, okay, we've been two years in the pandemic. Maybe the hospital has learned a little about how to treat patients in the protocol of medication. Well, soon did I learn as my husband was in there for five days, he would call me and we would FaceTime and he's like, I need to get out of here. You need to come and get me. I'm, I'm serious. And, um, and I know he was going through a lot. His mind, you know, sitting already four days in the hospital with a headache and struggling, very sick. Um, I had to determine, and my son had to determine what exactly is true and what exactly is not true. And it was so hard to be in this position, crying out to Jesus all the time and having people get your husband out of the hospital. Um, I asked the doctor, please give my husband ivermectin. I said, are you giving him vitamins? And I would talk to the doctor every day, call the nurses just to get an update. And a Tuesday night, he went into the hospital on a Thursday, um, a Friday night. Um, he was wanting to get out that Tuesday night. And um, he talked to my son. He talked to me. And um, he ended up staying in that an extra night. And I got that call Wednesday morning. The doctor said, your husband tried to get up. He took the mask off. And if you do not vent him, he will die. And my son was on the phone and I was a wreck. I had COVID too. And my husband and I discussed, I mean, of course I wish. And there goes the woulda, shoulda, coulda. I, I wish I could have um, said, let me talk to my husband. But we, he got vented 
And um, that was the beginning. So five days after he was in the hospital, he got vented. He, they vented him, put him on the vent, um, intubated him, paralyzed him. And that was the beginning of an eight-week journey. And when he was in the hospital, as I called every morning and every evening, and the doctor gave me updates, um, they would have to prone him. they turn him on his back. they turn him on his belly. So he would be on his belly for like, I would say, 13 hours. And then he would put him on his back for five hours. That was how they treated the COVID patients. Um, I didn't get to see him during this time. I would zoom, I would zoom in and talk to him, play worship music. Um, it was a very difficult time as I was, had COVID as well, like I said. And, um, so as we're going through that, um, I would talk to the nurses and they would say, you need to really think about this, about your husband and what's going on with him and if you should take him off the life support. And I I told them it's not my decision. It's God's decision. So my hope was to get through this. The doctor's plan was as soon as his oxygen level stayed um, at a good level, they would start lowering everything. And then they would put a tr- him on a trach. And the day that was scheduled that we were going to do that, um, he took a turn because they lowered everything, like the PEEP, the oxygen, so quickly. Like he was at 17 on the PEEP. They brought it down like to 15, to 10, and then all the way to 5. I'm like, why did you guys do that so quickly? I don't know. But um, And then the oxygen, the same thing. He was scheduled to get the trach. It didn't turn out. They called us in, and we thought we were going to say bye to my husband that day because I haven't seen them, him the whole time. But he ended up hanging on, and so um, we were headed into those last um, eight weeks. Probably um, it was on a Friday, the day before he passed, and I was in there for about three, four hours. And he seemed normal from, cause I probably two weeks before he passed, I was able to start coming in and seeing him. So that Friday I saw him, I called that night at 11, called at five. His oxygen is usually his markers 88. Well, it dropped all the way to 78. I asked why didn't they call me then within an hour it was at 88 I mean 69 so we came in and at that point we his son and I said goodbye to him so what a difficult journey um shocking October 2nd 2021 my husband took his last breath here on earth and his first breath in heaven and I'm gonna Right for time, I'm, I just want to uh, say this is Stacy with Throughout All Ages, and I'm sharing the hospital experience with my husband as he died with COVID. And I'm going to bring in Connie as she shares her journey from the hospital and a little different, 
a little quicker, but um, it just touched my heart. And what a strong woman, a woman of God. I do not know what I would. And I just am so grateful that God brought this woman into my life at just a perfect time. You know, all right, Connie, so your husband has COVID. What happens? Well, my husband, David Coleman, uh, he passed away or the Lord took him home on August 8th, 2021. He got sick on February 22nd. I came home from a lunch appointment. He was sitting on the couch. He seemed tired, but he'd gotten up early that morning. And he, um, we went and ran errands. He seemed a little off, but that night he went to bed with a slight fever. We woke up 3.30 in the morning. He couldn't sit up in bed. He had 104 temperature. Of course, we thought, take him to ER. ER had always been good to him in the past with his heart um, symptoms and different things that he had. So we rushed him, called the doctor's office. She said, get to the hospital, and that's what we did. Mm-hmm. We went to the ER, and we had a wonderful ER doctor there, and they did diagnose him with COVID-19. He was having a very erratic heart rhythm issue. And so it was suggested that he stay for observation just so that his heart rhythm, they could get his heart back into a good rhythm. And so, again, I thought observation, maybe a day or two, never thinking my husband would not leave that hospital again. And the ER doctor, as soon as he knew he had COVID, he came into our room, a very patriot doctor who had the... the, strength and courage to speak to us the way he did. He came in and he asked us, what do you think you need, Mr. Coleman, for your treatment? And my husband said, I need ivermectin, I need hydroxychloroquine, and I need a pack." And he said, absolutely, that's what you need. But I can't give it to you. I'll lose my license. My heart dropped. I thought, Oh, my goodness. But I thought he was going to be there a night or so. We were going to get the medicine. He said, get on the computer, get on your phone, get in with frontline doctors, get an appointment. They're getting kind of full. We're getting, we're seeing more COVID cases. So they're going to move my husband up to a room. Now, everything my husband's ever been hospitalized for, long hospitalizations, short hospitalizations, I was there with him. I was told I could go up there. I could be in the room with him. And so I went just like I was going to be there, take care of him, you know, make sure everything was okay, be his advocate. We get to the floor. The charge nurse comes in. We're ready. Oh, yes, we're going to get you a blanket for later. I said, let's just take care of my husband. Let's get his monitor on because he's got a heart rhythm issue. They weren't really taking care of his needs at that point. So then another nurse comes in, young nurse, male nurse. I mean, he looked not older than my grandchildren. (laughs) And he walks, goes in, goes out, comes back in, and he walks over to me and he said, I need to speak to you. And I said, okay. He said, I'm going to have to ask you to leave or I'm going to call security. And I said, you know what? Why don't you call security? And while you're at it, why don't you call the police? And while you're at it, why don't you go get whoever's running this floor? Because I need to speak to him. I'm not leaving here until I find out how my husband's going to be taken care of. So the next thing I know, the charge nurse is hustling around trying to get things for him. And 
clip-clop, clip-clop come these stomping feet into my room or into his room. And this woman comes up to me and she introduces herself as the supervisor of the floor and tells me she's going to call security because I'm refusing to leave the room. That's how my husband was treated. My husband started to sit up. He goes, if my wife's not welcome here, then I'm leaving. And I kept thinking, oh, he's got to stay because he's so sick. Now, in hindsight, like you said, the woulda, shoulda, couldas, I wish I would have rushed him right out of there and taken him home and gotten him the medications he needed. They rolled in some medicine, and I asked him what it was, and they said it was remdesivir. Mm-hmm. At that time, I did not know about remdesivir. What I have learned in the last year is hideous. Remdesivir was a test medicine for Ebola. Six out of the ten test patients died of kidney failure, complete organ failure. They never came to me, to my husband, and said, these are the risks. Do you want to take this medicine? But we couldn't take a proven medicine. I, too, ended up sick at home. I was offered by the same health care, Sharp. I could go to the ER and get monoclonal antibody treatment. I said, then I want that for my husband. He can't because he's hospitalized, so it's a different protocol. So I know from the last segment, if you guys listened last week, who I am, but I am a Christian. I'm 46 years a Christian. My husband was a wonderful Christian man. And as I got ready to say goodbye to my husband, I didn't really think I was never going to see him in person again. I said goodbye after I saw how he was being treated, you know, that he was being at least cared for to some point. And then um, the supervisor of that floor actually walked me out of the hospital like she was a guard and escorted me to my car. I went home tired, perplexed, worried, and just praying and asking God, oh, please, Lord, just let him breathe, let him be okay. Well, my story, his story didn't end up that way. It was 17 days in that hospital. But the whole time, sitting up on his phone, never once did I hear a cough out of him. The last week of his life, I kept asking, how are his lungs? Oh, his lungs are clear. They're clear. So on Tuesday, his lungs were clear. On Thursday, they called and said that his lungs were full of COVID-19. They were diseased and just full of it. Wow. I just want to say we're um, with Throughout All Ages Ministry, and I'm here with Connie Coleman. We both lost our husbands to COVID and hospital protocol. And wow. So you... His lungs were clear, and then On what? Tuesday. Okay. On Thursday. Now, at this time, the second week, we're trying to get my husband moved to another hospital. My sister's involved, my son, my two adult nephews. We finally get UCSD. They're going to take him. Then all of a sudden, his lungs were full of COVID-19 pneumonia. They were so diseased. So, so anyways, uh, we... I had, to, I had to make the decision. They said he's not safe enough to transport. Mm-hmm. We've got to get him down to ICU. Never once. So I had to 
have a phone conversation with my husband about the doctor says, you've got to ask him about the ventilator. Is he willing to go on the ventilator? What I didn't know that is at that time is that doctors and hospitals, not doctors, but the hospitals are paid for every step of that COVID hospitalization. If they're admitted due to COVID, if they go to ICU because of COVID, if they're ventilated because mm-hmm. of COVID, if they die because of COVID. I didn't know those things. My husband said, I'll go on the ventilator if I can breathe and if it'll help me live. But other than that, I don't want to go. Okay, Connie, as we wrap it up, we have about five minutes. That day they called you. Well, they wouldn't let you come in. And then finally, they've called me. The Lord woke me up. I was staying with my grandson, Bailey, and his girlfriend, Amanda. And I, the Lord woke me up at 445 in the morning, the last night of Dave's life. And I woke up, he woke me up, and I just came out of a dead sleep, and I knew it was God. And God was saying, I knew that someone was going to call me. I knew the doctor or the hospital was going to call. And the Lord was preparing my heart. Fifty-nine minutes later, the phone rang after I spent 59 minutes with the Lord in prayer, asking God to raise him up. Little did I know God was going to raise him up, but I... Mm not in the way that I thought he was going to raise him up. So we rush to the hospital. We get there. I'm still being held at the little white tent outside. They're not letting me in. Finally, I'm begging that my grandson can go up with me, give us clearance. We got to get up there. They would not let me. They sent me up with a chaplain who did not say one word to me the whole way up to ICU. I get to ICU, get to the nurse's desk, look across the hall, and my husband's already gone. The doctor mm-hmm. comes around and says, oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Coleman, but he's gone. What do you mean he's gone? You know, I was in shock. And I just said, oh, God, help me. Help me. What am I going to do now? I was allowed to go in the room then, finally, and grieve over my husband's body, never having that time with him while I was alive. But you know what God did? The light coming in that morning, that Sunday morning, was a beautiful light, and I could see disarray in the room because they tried to revive him. But God left a beautiful presence of his spirit in that room. Dave's face had no wrinkles and no pain. He didn't look like he had fought. That's God. And I knew I had to walk out of there, and I had to show hope to my family, to my kids and my grandkids, I had to go face them, and I had to tell them that I'd lost the most precious thing I'd ever lost. But I was going to live. Mm -hmm. Do you know why I was going to live? Because I was going to live because of the Lord inside of me. I may not have wanted to or felt like I could, but I was going to live. And I expected them. I was going to show them how to learn to live, but also to learn how to say goodbye. Yeah, That's hard. And it's really hard. You don't know how to even say this to those who don't know yet. But you have to. You have to. Yeah. You have to. And even the little children. I loved when it was already a week that my granddaughter, she's four, and she didn't know. She was still thinking Papa was in the hospital. And I was talking to my daughter, and I'm like, let's tell her. Let me tell her. I'll make it easy. 
And I said, guess what? Papa's in heaven. And then I grab her hands and said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to walk with Jesus. And she, she got to understand that we do have the hope of heaven. And it reminds us, me of this verse, Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace with all those who is in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. You know what? God gave us a peace during that time, even though it was so... It was surreal peace. Yeah. A surreal peace. I can't explain that I can't piece. either. It's just so amazing. Like a peace that surpasses all understanding was given to us for that per- that, that time. Mm-hmm. But we For had- such a time as this. Yeah. And we've always said, Stacy, that God brought us together for such a time as this. Yeah. And our other widowed sisters. But think of this verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. And we're struck down, but not destroyed. Do you know no one, the enemy, whoever can destroy us? We can feel like we're destroyed. But, you know, our faith is not a feeling. It's a commitment. It was um, weeks before Joe went to heaven. I was driving in the car, and every time I got in the car, my radio comes on, and that song, Scars Made in Heaven, and that is the very same song Connie and I had played at the Celebration of Life. That that song was so hard, though. As uh-huh. soon as I got in the car, I'm like, turned it I off. I couldn't listen to it either, but what's interesting is, and this is God, the day her husband passed away and the Lord took him home was the day of my husband's memorial. And of all the days. So October 2nd is a significant day to both of us. Yes. And we've been significant to each other. And I thank God for such uh, uh, beautiful women that and and mentors, like you say, our grief share facilitators and those that have pastors that have gathered around us. But there's hope because we do not grieve as those without hope. That's right, Connie, and I thank you so much for for being on Throughout All Ages radio program today. And as we share the story, our story, our testimony, I want to share with the hospital protocol and everything we went through, we know that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's Deuteronomy 29.29. God knows what happened in that hospital. And although we were given medication that was not the correct medication, God knows. And um, we stand victorious in Him, living this journey in knowing that God has something for us. Our task here on earth is not complete yet. Exactly. So He who begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Bless you all, and thank you for listening in. This is Throughout All Ages Ministry. See you next time. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. 
1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.